Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegler here with Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. I got to admit, guys, I feel a little bit you know, like like I got some shoes to fill here talking to you two because normally it's Mr. Tommy Ashley hosting this podcast, but we decided to give him the night off and we are going to be discussing the hiring of Phil Longo. So let's, let's jump be right honest. in. Let's be uh-huh. honest. Tommy's actually on a celebratory bender and that's what we're, that's why we're having to have you fill in for him. Let, let's be real about this. Yeah, I think his, uh, his, his date for the night is a bourbon called Bullet. Uh, well, so. <laughs> he's he's earned it after the content that that has just been churning out here. And for everyone listening, if you have not been subscribed to the Inside Carolina podcast, you are missing some awesome content. So I would definitely go back and just listen to everything that's come out over the last two weeks. But turning to the matter at hand with Phil Longo, Jason, you were very very active and pro this hire on the Inside Carolina you know, internal communications. So I'm going to start with you. When it came out on Tuesday that he was going to be the hire, what did you think of it? I, I think it's a much better hire than I would have. I mean, th- those of you who, lis- who listen to this podcast regularly know that I was uh, definitely a doubter when it came to hiring Mac Brown. Uh, I'm, I'm not generally uh, one to, to go backwards in that regard. Uh, and go back to the guy that uh, that you know had success at your at, at the at the institution previously. You know you usually want to be moving forward, but this is a much better hire as a, as a coordinator than I, I thought he would have at that at that stage that he would be able to attract. And you put this together with Bateman, and I think he's he's made two really good coordinator hires, and and uh, and in that regard. Uh, I think this is a big win for Carolina. It's a, it's a win in recruiting too, because I think people are going to want, kids are going to look at what Longo has done. They're going to be able to put, put some of this stuff on uh, in the living room and just say, look, this is the, this is the offense you'll be in. And they're going to be able to show a lot of stuff. Uh, and, you know, I, I think this is, this is a really attractive hire. It's a, uh, it's a very positive hire for Carolina. Um, and it also fits really well with the personnel that's already on the roster. That's the other thing is, you know, I wasn't sure, Given Brown's past, I mean, what he what he had run at Carolina before, some of what was what he'd run at at, uh, at Texas before, I wasn't exactly sure what to expect. But so far, I'm I'm really on board with what with what they're uh, with with the direction that they're going on on offense here. Uh, and you know, I've, I've already commented on on Bateman as a hire. I think he's also a very good hire. So yeah, I'm I'm on board with both coordinators, and that makes me much more bullish on uh, Brown's uh, second tenure at Carolina. Well, the term that you used was cutting edge, that UNC got two guys that fit that mold. Just walk us through why you think Bateman and Longo do fit that descriptor of being on that cutting edge of football right now. Well, I mean, for one, Bateman is, starting with him, Bateman is a guy who, he's, he's, he's really, I mean, cutting edge really does describe what he's trying to do. Uh, he and uh, the coordinator at uh, Iowa State, whose name is escaping me right now, uh, and a few others, they're really on uh, on an innovative edge in terms of what they're doing defensively with what's what's called, even though it's not exactly accurate, 
positionless defense. So this idea that you should have enough versatility built into your defense where you can basically have a guy that, that normally might be a pass rusher suddenly drop out and cover and that you, that you recruit in such a way that that guy is capable of doing that and you scheme in such a way as to be able to, to be less predictable about who's coming from where, about what guy can, can play what role and all of that. And it's, it's basically a, a way to try to uh, get the chalk back in the, in the hand of the defensive coordinator last, to give him the last crack at the, at the, at the whiteboard. Uh, to, you know, if it's a marker, I guess it's, it'd be a marker rather than chalk at the whiteboard, but, um, but to give him the last, the last uh, uh, shot at the board rather than the offense with all this RPO stuff and all of the matchup creation that the spread offenses of today are doing, what Bateman's trying to do is basically say, okay, you can, you can try to dictate by formation and everything, what kind of matchup you're going to get. But then I'm going to move something or I'm going to I'm going to be unpredictable out of this so that you're not always going to be able to count on what I'm going to do against that particular look. And, you know, I might bring three from over here and totally, totally ruin it for you. Now, there's going to be some big plays you'll give up on that on occasion, but it's a very aggressive way to handle a lot of the modern spread. And and to me, that's a very cutting edge thing. I mean, you'll you'll see five guys in the box at the snap and all of a sudden after the snap, there's eight guys in the box because everybody just suddenly converges in, in, in specific ways and they just work on, on how they're going to do, how they're going to, to alter what look they have versus what, what exactly you're going to see after the snap. There's a lot of stuff going on there. I'm looking forward to, to breaking a lot of this stuff down, but it's, it's on the cutting edge side in terms of defensive football at the college level. Um, and so, so that's definitely a cutting edge higher. And then Longo is another one of those guys who, you know, the air raid is not exactly cutting edge at this point. I mean, it was cutting edge back in the 90s with Hal Mummy and, you know, with uh, with uh, uh, Mike Leach. You know, those guys were, were, were absolutely bleeding edge, cutting edge stuff in the 90s with the air raid. But what Longo has done is he's hybridized the air raid stuff of, you know, the 90s and early 2000s, which is a, a pass first philosophy in terms of how you coach your passing game with tons of repetitions of specific concepts that you build into your offense with uh, some receiver adjustments and all sorts of things built in. One of the things that, that air raid, just to make it clear for the, for the, uh, for the, the, those listening, what the air raid, what you're doing is a lot of times you'll actually have fewer plays that you actually run fewer concepts, but you run them 50 times in a given practice and you have three or four route adjustments built in so that if they do this, you just do this. So it becomes very, very difficult. It's almost like the run and shoot in that way to where the defense in the passing game really can never be right. There, there are a lot of options built in uh, in the passing game and that's really, really difficult to defend. It takes a little bit to learn to execute it, but it's, it's basically a, a repping a ton of things and getting really good on that side rather than repping a thousand things and not being necessarily great at any of them. He marries that with a more downhill power running game uh, that, you know, and also a bunch of RPO stuff. That's the, you know, the nouveau stuff. And the way he puts all that together in a package is again, very innovative. It's very similar. uh, The kind of thing that they're trying to do. And you can see that by who they hired as the offensive line coach as well. They hired Lincoln Riley's old offensive line coach at ECU. They're trying basically to replicate in Chapel Hill 
schematically on the offensive side of the ball, more or less what Lincoln Riley's doing at Oklahoma. Now, obviously, everybody wants to look like that. But schematically, you're, you're actually talking about guys who, in terms of their offense and in terms of what they coach, that's what basically what they're doing. And it's hard to get more cutting edge than that. All right. So, Buck, you mentioned in your column on Inside Carolina's premium tar pit message board today that, you know, when Larry Fedora joined the staff or he became head coach, you were very encouraged because after the departure of Butch Davis, you really wanted UNC to go after that spread style offense. So what do you think the transition is going to be going from the Fed spread to this air raid that Longo is going to bring with him from Ole Miss? It's not going to be as hard as you might imagine. There are a lot of similarities that, particularly when it comes to practice, uh, the air raid and and Fred's, uh, Larry Fedora's um, preferred offense, uh, still a spread, and Fed many spread. others, uh, right? Many other uh, spread spread offenses. They do exactly what Jason was just talking about a few minutes ago is that they have a smaller playbook, but they do rep after rep after rep after rep of the same play. Um, I couldn't tell you how many times that practice I would see them practicing a bubble screen, for example. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a staple, uh, one of their sort of go-to plays, something that they – if you get the right look, it's, a, it's what you go to almost every time. If, if the defense gives you a certain look, you know you've got money out there on the edge with that bubble screen. So they rep it over and over and over and over again. And, uh, and there are other plays like that uh, that you know, they will rip to death. Uh, the first couple of years, we got to see uh, an entire – um, scrimmage. They had the scrimmages off campus. They had them in Greensboro and in Charlotte a couple of times. And so we got to see the whole shoot match and, you know, that's, that's our game plan. We're going, we're going to do fewer things, but we're going to do them well. And we're going to, uh, rip them a lot. So there, there's that as far as how they practice, it's going to be very, very similar, similar in terms of what's expected uh, from the players in the rips that they get. The other thing is it's also a tempo offense. Uh, Larry Fedora is a hurry-up, no-huddle guy. I think over the years, as time went on, especially after uh, Gene Chizik came in as the defensive coordinator, um, he began to use tempo more selectively and only use it at certain times. Um I think probably Phil Longo is going to be uh, more consistent using tempo, using it as not just a way to be effective in getting yardage and so forth, but using it enough so that it's actually a weapon to wear the defense down. Um, if, if anybody has ever played football in their backyard, you realize that it's more of a physical effort to play defense than it is offense. Uh, you, you don't know where the guy's going, you know, that you're trying to cover or trying to tackle. You don't know what direction he's taking. He does. And therefore you expend a lot more energy trying to get to him. So that one of the things that we 
don't really talk that much about when it comes to tempo is that coaches that do it a lot see it as a way to wear the defense out. Um, so anyway, it, he's going to probably use more tempo, but the UNC players are used to that mode of offense, of going fast, of hurrying up. Um, so that will also translate. Certain other things will translate. If it was a pure air raid offense, not so much. But um, Longo's offense does, on occasion, uh, go to inside zone, outside zone run concepts. Um, they'll do power run uh, concepts sometimes. And as I was going through watching uh, several of the games ever since we got the announcement over the last several years, uh, UNC fans will be very pleased and surprised to hear that he actually puts the quarterback under center in short yardage situations on occasion, not always, but on occasion um, he will uh, put the quarterback under center. They use tight ends uh, in the pure air raid, not so much. They don't use tight ends, but uh, Phil Longo does. And, and he uses the tight end really more as a, blocker um more often than not the the uh, tight end is actually lined up as an h-back kind of on the um, shoulder a couple of yards behind uh, the left or the right tackle and, and gets an extra blocker in there on some of his pass uh concepts and and he's very varied in formation so uh, and all of those things you know, Larry Fedora also used a tight end. Not every spread offense does. So there's, there's a good bit of uh, crossover there. There are going to be some new things to learn. Um, and some of these players, uh, I guess there's some still left, maybe not, um, were exposed to Seth Luttrell, who introduced a few air raid passing concepts during his time at UNC. So uh, I, I don't think it's going to be nearly as dramatic a change as it was when um, North Carolina went from Larry Fedora and Blake Anderson, went to Larry Fedora and Blake Anderson from John Sheep. That was a very dramatic um, transition. This, not so much. So uh, I, I think um, they'll, they'll get on a pretty quick learning curve with what the kinds of things that Longo wants to do. All right, so I've got a follow-up for both of you guys. But before I get to that, let me talk about our friends with Heels Travel. They are a valued IC podcast sponsor, and they have received rave reviews for their travel package that was set up for the UNC versus Cal game earlier this fall. Well, right now, you still have time to get yourself a package to go see Carolina, take on Kentucky in the CBS Sports Classic, which is taking place in Chicago on December 22nd. But you've got to act fast. You can call 336-855-0060 or visit heelstravel.com to book your package. That trip includes round-trip airfare from RDU to Chicago's O'Hare Airport, transportation to and from the airport, and a two-night stay in the Omni Chicago. That's right on Michigan Avenue in the heart of Chicago, and it's also where the basketball team is going to be staying, which can be a very cool experience for you and the family. Now, that, now that heals travel price and inclusions. They are 
even less than if you book directly with the Omni Chicago. So take advantage now. It's a great chance to see your Tar Heels take on a great opponent on a big stage and also get to explore an awesome city right around Christmas time. So again, call 336-855-0060 to book or visit heelstravel.com now. All right, so after hearing what both of you guys have said, my follow-up is this. And Jason, I'm going to start with you since uh, Buck just got to talk last there. When you're looking at the schematics that Longo is going to bring, what type of advantage do you think they offer to a team like North Carolina? And how do you see him schematically working in the ACC Coastal? Because that's a huge step down in quality from what he went up against in the SEC East. That's just a fact. So what are your thoughts on that? You mean SEC West, right? SEC West. Yep. Yes. I definitely said East. <laughs> Sorry. Just to clarify, you're asking, how is Longo going to adjust to the poorer competition? <laughs> well, that and and how do you think that his schematics are going to give the Tar Heels an edge against other ACC opponents? Yeah, well, I mean, one thing that's interesting is that if, if you look at, the, and I guess this is the one concern about Longo coming in, although I think it's less of a concern than maybe it's been, uh, than, than some have suggested, you know, this year, uh, against Alabama, LSU, Auburn, and Mississippi State, Ole Miss averaged 10.5 points per game. That's, that's not very good against the four best defenses against, uh, uh, on the Ole Miss schedule. They, they were basically dominated by those top 20, top 15 defenses this year. Uh, perhaps the biggest difference is that Longo won't be facing on Carolina's schedule next year, at least in the Coastal. He's not going to be facing anybody that is the caliber of any one of those defenses this year. Uh, and when you look at his stats against pretty much everybody else uh, at, at Ole Miss, he absolutely destroyed any competition that was pretty close to even or, or not as good uh, talent-wise uh, as, as, as his offense. Um, but that does, I think, underscore what, what, we, what we're going to want to monitor, what we're going to want to watch, and that's what, what wrinkles does he have in play? What, what adjustments does he have, uh, have ready for when an offense is able to single cover his receivers. That, that's really the trick for, for what Longo is going to, be, going to be facing. And again, in the Coastal, there's not a whole lot of teams that are going to be able to do that. Virginia Tech some, some years is going to have the corners to be able to do that. Miami sometimes going to have the DBs to do that. But generally speaking, in the ACC Coastal, you're not going to see a bunch of teams that are just going to be able to trot out three or four cover guys to be able to handle Longo's vertical passing game. And that's the thing he's going to do a lot. I mean, he's going to run a ton of four verts, which is four vertical routes from the wide receivers. And that's something that Larry Fedora's offense used a lot with some adjustments built in so that, you know, if you cover it this way, then this guy can sit down, you can throw the back shoulder, or this guy can break it across the middle to run away from defense here, etc. So, you know, that is, um, that, that's the thing that, that I'm going to be taking a look at is how it's not so much how he's going to adjust to to handling the 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 coastal i think he's going to be relieved not having to face alabama or lsu defensive backs or 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 defensive linemen uh but how 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 is he going to be ready uh for the few teams the few games a year where some of the base stuff is not 
is just you're not going to simply have an, a talent edge with one of the matchups that you can go out there and you know, okay, I'm, I'm sticking four guys out here. I know one of them is going to have a, have a matchup advantage if they single cover them. Sometimes none of those guys are going to have a clear edge. What are you going to do there? And that's, that's really what I want to see. But like I said, in the coastal, I think most of the time they're going to be able to find an edge somewhere and you're going to start and you're going to see some big plays as long as the quarterback play is good. And it looks to me like he's walking into a good quarterback situation in Chapel Hill for the first time in, in, in three years. All right. So Buck, same question to you. What do you think about the fact that, you know, Longo's offenses did struggle against those top tier SEC defenses and how do you think it's going to translate over to the ACC Coastal? Well, John, Jason makes great points there, but there's uh, some differences at UNC besides being in the Coastal Division than uh, Longo had at Ole Miss. One of those is that Mac Brown is apparently so in to um, – the air raid offense is, you know, he went out and hired guys for a long, for Longo or a air raid staff that fits that offense perfectly. That's not what happened at Ole Miss. Uh, They brought in uh, the offensive line coach uh, for one year when Longo was there from California after um, Sonny Dykes got fired out there. Uh, they they uh, hired the offensive line coach and brought him to Ole Miss. So he did have some support there. But, uh, you know, at UNC, they also have Lonnie Galloway on staff who, um, you know, worked with Dana Holgerson at West Virginia for a couple of years and worked at, um, you know, different places that uh, have air raid um, imprint on their offense. So several of the... People on staff at UNC uh, can help support the principles uh, that uh, Longo is going to want to teach at UNC. I think he'll also find it pretty easy to recruit to that system in North Carolina and in this region. Um, It's not quite like Texas. And I think one thing that people need to understand about the air raid in Texas and, and all of that is that it wasn't just Mike Leach that was, you know, popularizing making the air raid popular in Texas at Texas tech. It was after Tony Franklin got out of coaching, uh, not voluntarily. I don't think he was blackballed for a while. Um, but after he got out of coaching, he devised a set of air raid principles that he learned and developed under Hal Mummy and Mike Leach and sold them to Texas high schools. And that's why Texas as a state is air raid from, you know, Houston to Dallas, anywhere you go, every high school you know, in the state of Texas, they're running some sort of version of that. And the reason they do is because high school students have even less of an attention span than, than college students do. And, and they are less time really to concentrate on football than college students do. 
And so they needed a system at the high school level that was easy to teach, a few basic concepts. You're, you're almost literally going over to one player and saying, these are the things I want you to do during a game. Here's a list, one through five. Learn how to do those things. And, and repping them, each one of those five things, like 50 times, like Jason said. So it was simple. It was effective. And virtually every uh, high school in Texas runs a version of that offense. And so Texas Tech and Baylor and multiple other schools, uh, Sam Houston State, where Longo used to coach, um, also it, it just all those kids came from Texas and grew up practicing the same system that um, was being used in their high school. Um, but the thing about the the air raid is there's just no such thing really as a type of player you don't want for that offense. You know, some offenses, you know, you tend to want a certain uh, type of player, certain size, and they have certain requirements they like for certain positions. Not so much with the air raid. I mean, virtually, if you can play ball, you know, if you're fast, you can catch the ball, uh, and, you know, you can, you've got enough sense to, you know, get up in the morning and, and go to school, you're probably going to be able to play in that offense. And the same goes for most of the other offensive positions, and the exception being quarterback. But, you know, what they look there look for there is somebody that's very accurate. That's all they want. I mean, he, if he's accurate, then he's going to, he's going to have like five targets and time to throw, look at them and throw. So, um, you know, I, I do think that, um, he could have his struggles against, and everybody has their struggles. That's why they're top defenses. If they weren't top defenses, people would have success against them. But, yeah. uh, you know, there, there's a couple of teams, Miami and Clemson, that on the schedule next year that UNC will have to, might want to circle to see how well his offense does against those teams. But in the rest of the Coastal Division, he, he's not the kind of guy that is going to have a Larry Fedora two or three times a year. And by that, I mean, lose to a team that's really inferior in talent. I, I don't think that Phil Longo is that guy on the offensive side of the ball. Well, I mean, it's difficult to assess that at this point. I mean, the thing is, that's not a Larry Fedora thing. That's almost every, co every college football team loses, say, one to two games a year that it, from on paper, has no business losing. So, you know, I'll withhold judgment on that. That, but the the, I do think that Longo's record of success looks awfully good coming in, and you know, given the talent on on the offense, should be, uh, you know, there, there's reason for optimism there, and 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 you know, there's it's at least going to be fun to watch with the with the quarterback talent that I think is on the roster right now. Well, Jason, real quick, Buck mentioned you know about high school players having even less kind of attention than the college kids. Uh, what's your, what's your quick thoughts on that? Agree, disagree? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to go ahead and say, uh, I, I agree with, uh, with Buck's uh, assessment. Um, you, you occasionally get that really rare kid who's got that, that, that drive. I had a couple of them the last couple of years uh, and a couple of whom I, I hope uh, 
to see at the next level uh, in, you know, at the ACC level uh, before too long, but um, you know, most kids at that level uh, aren't, aren't going to, aren't going to have the attention and the focus. And, you know, again, it's sort of like uh, weightlifting. It takes years to build up the necessary muscle memory and physical memory and just a, a capacity to be able to handle something new, to be able to, you know, just add that to your, to your repertoire when you are, when, uh, when you're a high schooler, you don't have that. When you're in college, you have more of it by the time you've played a few more years than that, then, you know, you can just add something new really easily. So that's another factor beyond that. But, but yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent with that. All right. Well, for the next part of the podcast, we are going to be getting to some of the subscriber questions that we received from the Inside Carolina Tar Pit Premium Message Board. Before we get to that, let me talk about our friends at Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Mm. I know, mm. always gets you hungry. Well, for everyone listening, if you are heading to Chapel Hill for a basketball game this season, you need to stop by one of the Jersey Mikes who have now five total locations in and around Chapel Hill to get yourself a delicious sub sandwich. Mm. And using the code HEELS15, you get 15% off of your online order made at jerseymikes.com or using the Jersey Mikes app for your phone. Now, it's good for the Chapel Hill, Hillsborough, and Chatham County locations, and it is that online code only, so you have to use it by either going to jerseymikes.com slash order or, like I said, that Jersey Mikes app. What you do is you go on to one of those two places, you select the location nearest to you, click order, pick your favorite sub, and then at checkout, Enter the code HEELS15, and you get that sweet 15% off of your whole order. You get to skip the line, head straight to the register, grab your food, and then you're on your way. Do it today. Place an online order at one of the five convenient Chapel Hill, Hillsboro, and Chatham County locations. It's a super easy process. Just remember the code HEELS15, order online, and pick up your sub. All right, so guys, to the listener questions. Buck, this first one's going to be from you, and it comes from Kay Davis. says, Longo seems to have surprised all of us. Can you speak as to why you think that happened? So in other words, I guess his name came kind of out of left field on Tuesday, and it was a very quick turnaround between when he emerged as a candidate to when it was being announced as a hire. So how, why do you think it, it broke that way? Well, there's a, a lot of dynamics at work during coaching searches that are in play when if you've got a guy that's Cliff Kingsbury and he's been fired and uh, you've got a guy um, like uh, um, Mike Sanford who's been fired, People that are that have information that are that are willing to share it and um, are closely connected, and a lot of times the people that have this information are, is is very limited. There's not very many of them. Um, if if those names get get out, Kingsbury or um, Sanford, nobody really cares. They they're unemployed. They're not out there actively recruiting kids to their schools. And, and so, you know, the, people are less uh, reluctant to, to let those names get out there because on the flip side, if, if, if North Carolina has 
as an assistant coach um, that's out there looking or for a head coaching job or say uh, Larry Fedora is looking for a head coaching job in the past or whatever, people are very reluctant to even they, – they'll talk, but they're very reluctant to share those names because it's death to a coach uh, for information to get out that he's – while he's trying to persuade you to go to school A, he's trying to get a job at school B. So, and, and Phil, um, he had, his name had surfaced with a couple of head coaching jobs, I think at Texas State and maybe UMass. Um, and so, uh, that, that, those, both of those wrapped up, I guess, what, a week and a half ago or so. And he's still out actively recruiting for Ole Miss. And I don't think he wanted his name out there. Um, and I think he also waited until these other jobs fell through before he started looking at other um, offensive coordinator positions. And I think it just got to a point where he wanted out of uh, Oxford and Matt uh, Luke wanted him out of Oxford. So, um, you know, his name surfaced very late. My guess is, my theory is that um, there got to be a certain point where, you know, his agent knows that North Carolina is looking for an offensive coordinator. They can offer him pretty much the same money he's making at Ole Miss. Um, He's not getting a head coaching job um, this year. So, you know, it might be a good time for a change of scenery, you know, go someplace else and, um, you know, start over and putting in your offense there. And with a coach that is really uh, dedicated to that approach, Matt Luke w- w- was not an air raid guy, you know, when he got the job at Ole Miss. Um, so I think that's why probably in the last, you know, um, 48 hours of, you know, before he was announced was probably one of the first times that the two sides connected. And after that, it just seemed like a, a match made in heaven, and uh, they kept it on the download. There's actually a was a fourth coach um, that was uh, very very interested in the job, whose name never did surface. Nobody that name is not public yet, hmm. uh, and that's because he's out actively recruiting for you know the school where he has a job now. Uh, so those kinds of dynamics come into play quite often in coaching searches and. Um, the people that are involved in it try to hold that information as closely as they can. Um, the Harold stuff got out, which is a little bit surprising that uh, his name popped up on the radar uh, because he's out obviously recruiting for North Texas. Uh, but that name did get out, but they, they try to keep a lid on names of coaches that are out actively recruiting and their bosses may not even know. Um, and, their boss might not like it too much if um, he knows that uh, his offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, whoever is out there actively seeking to get another job. So I, I think there's just more dynamics in play than most people think about or realize. And uh, that that's kind of, I think, what went down with uh, Phil Longo. All right, so let's move on to the next one. Jason, going to swing this one over to you. And this comes from Born on the Hill. We also had, got a similar one from NY City Hill. So I'm just going to combine these two. And the question was, 
how do you see the offensive and defensive styles working together? Is Carolina's defense going to be going to continue to be on the field for 35 plus minutes? So that's kind of the million dollar question right now. How do you see Bateman's defense and Longo's offense meshing together? <laughs> well, that's the that's the big question. Um, I mean, Bateman has has not had to deal with this, uh, at least in his experience at Army, where they held the ball as long as anybody in the country. Uh, I mean, this year against Oklahoma, for example, they only gave up 21 points in regulation. They gave up 21 on Oklahoma's first three drives and then held them scoreless for the rest of the game. But Oklahoma only had the ball like 15 minutes. So, you know, the uh, Army was able to basically just stay on the field and that that helped insulate insulate that uh, that that defense uh, quite a bit. And he's not going to have that luxury with with Longo on the other side. If Longo's going to go with the tempo that he's run before, well, that that makes it tougher on the defense uh, for for sure. You you face a lot more plays, and that also means that uh, it's it. Let's think about it this way: um, for those of you who who watch some baseball or played baseball, uh, it's one thing to it, it's sort of like facing a starting pitcher. The first time through the lineup, it, it's pretty difficult to to locate that locate the pitcher's stuff to kind of see everything clearly. Then you get a little bit better sense the second time through the lineup. By the time you get to the third time through the lineup, guys are usually picking up on the ball a little better than they were earlier. And it's not just because the pitcher is getting tired, but then you combine that with some pitcher fatigue. And guys are going to start getting getting the bat on the ball a little bit more on that third, fourth time through the lineup, which is generally when you're going to want to make your switch. And and basically, Bateman has had at, at Army, he's only had to face really, say, two, three times through the lineup uh, at any one point, which means that a lot of the innovative stuff, a lot of the wrinkles that he can put in, teams aren't necessarily going to get enough reps against that defense to be able to adjust to it and see it and 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 suddenly you know punch back at it later in the game because they're not seeing it as many times you, you it's one thing to face say 55 plays it's a totally different thing to, to face 75 80 plays in that regard it's not so much about fatigue even as much as it is opportunity to counter and to recognize what what you see because you can only pre- you can only prepare so much stuff so so that's that's going to be something to to watch on 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 Bateman's side, uh, just schematically. Is how much how much are you going to see some potential for for teams to be able to to adjust to what he's doing, what he's showing them in a given game, say third fourth quarter after they've seen it enough times. That that's something that I would definitely, if I were Bateman, I, I definitely would be somewhat concerned about and I would want I would want to be already preparing for ways to 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 uh keep counters in there that maybe I didn't have elsewhere uh to to ha- to save a couple things for later in games just just knowing that teams are going to have this counter or whatever so that's something that's something to look for the other thing for me that is the big concern and again it's it's on the defensive side is it's really difficult when you have a true spread particularly an air raid type spread offense to field a physical defense to field a uh, a really 
dominant defense, even even a, a really good defense. I mean, you look at Oklahoma. Oklahoma gets as good a recruits. They they recruit as well as any just about anybody in the country. They're a top ten recruiter, and they've been untouchable the last couple of years with Lincoln Riley at, at, at calling the plays out there. But their defense is ranked in the nineties, and it's not just because they're seeing a lot of plays. They're bad in the first quarter, and it's because I think in part because they they don't get the opportunity in terms of the way that that team is built to develop the kind of physicality and the mentality that you need to have a dominant defense to have a really good defense and it's just really hard when you're when you're practicing against an offense where everything is a counterpunch and everything is uh, you know, on the edge, everything is specific types of of pass routes. And, and I, I hate to use the finesse word because Longo's offense does, is not just finesse. I mean, there is, I mean, there is a, a power component to his offense. That's something that he, I think, takes pride in, in having added to his offense is being able to run the football in that offense and staying balanced. But it's still not the same as, Give you give you an example. When I was at Florida State, we ended every practice, or at least every pa- practice in pads, with an eleven on eleven goal line uh, situation between the offense and defense, and we would have eight plays of goal line, and whichever unit lost would have to run gassers at the end of practice. So if you were the offense, and you you got held out of the out of the end zone three times out of that four, you were running. If you were the defense and you got beat three times and the offense scored, then you were running. If both teams only gave up two, then both were running. <laughs> so, hmm. you know, it, it, that's something where, and that was something that, that Coach Bowden uh, and, and Coach Andrews, I, I was with them this last spring, they, they talked about how that kind of thing really built the mentality at Florida State in those dynasty years where, they th- th- that defense and and that offense played with such a chip on their shoulder and the physicality that those teams had and it was and it came right out of practice i mean we'd have guys just absolutely killing each other at the end of those practices because it was a matter of pride and when and, and that's something that mac brown has to find a way and that's really the that's the biggest thing to me that he's got to figure out in terms of of providing balance to this team because he hired a really good coordinator on both sides. Now, how can you find a way to orient it so that you're going to have a balanced team? You can run air raid stuff and do all of that stuff well and have a good defense. I'm convinced of that, but it's just a lot harder. And I think the sort of thing you have to do is you have to find a way to say, okay, you know what? This is going to be our core offensively, but we have to incorporate these couple things into our offense just so that we can rep them to service the defense and rep them really well. It's not necessarily something that philosophically we're really sold on offensively, but we have to do this to develop our defense and develop the physical mentality that the defense has. And that's something I don't think Larry Fedora ever did. You know, in in terms of what I saw at Carolina, Fedora was a typical offensive coach. He was a guy who he believed in specific offensive principles and they were running that on offense. And then the defensive guys needed to handle their stuff. But to me, the best coaches 
are the ones that recognize that sometimes you actually have to be willing to practice something on one side of the ball, less for that side than for the other side. Nick Saban does it at, at Alabama. When they started struggling against the spread, guess what he did? He incorporated more and more spread option stuff in their offense, not just because he felt it would be better for their offense, but because his defense needed to face it. But guess what? He's retained a lot of that, a lot of quote unquote pro style or more physical in the box type stuff as well, because he believes without it, his, his defense isn't going to be good enough. And I've talked to Jimbo Fisher, you know, Jimbo Fisher for years explained to me that there were certain things he had, he kept in his offense. There was stuff that they, that they continued to, to do because he said, listen, if you can't do this, then you lose the edge as a team. You lose the balance that you've got to have to be a complete team. And, and ultimately I believe, you know, he, he would say, I believe you've got to, you've got to be able to do some of this stuff when you get down in the red zone, tight zone, not just for your offense, but so your defense has faced it. I mean, how many, and he would say, how, how many teams these days line up and, and don't even have a fullback on the roster? Well, what happens when you get into a, into a game where you need to be physical and you need to take on a block? If you're not used to doing it, you're going to be in trouble. So that's the stuff that, that is the real, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm most interested in. And I'm hoping to make some spring practice uh, this, this spring to see how Mac handles this. But, you know, he's an old school guy. Back in the 90s, his, his North Carolina teams were as physical as anybody in the country. And so, you know, I want to see how he goes about marry, marrying that physicality on defense that Bateman has been really good with at, at Army. But see, it's easy to do when, when your offense is all in the box and when you're running the football every play in practice, you develop that physicality, that toughness. It's hard to do when you're not facing that. How are they going to find a way to make sure that, that Bateman's guys don't lose that while Longo's guys are able to do what he wants to do? That's going to be the real trick. And it's not even about pace. Pace is great. You know, tempo is fine, but you know what? You know what's better than, than keeping your defense rest, rested? Scoring a lot of points so your defense doesn't, you know, run support for your pitcher matters even more than, you know, Given than, than having a few extra long innings so he can rest on the bench. So, you know, scoring a lot of points will help your defense in, in, in that. But it's the mentality thing that I want to see. And then to piggyback off of that, Buck, you guys talked about it in the Bateman podcast. Do you think that the assumption is that UNC will be switching to a 3-4 defense? Or do you think it could be a 4-2-5 or some other hybrid that question came from NCCAT33. So let's get your thoughts on that one, Buck. Yeah, I, I'm um, sort of of the opinion that, you know, I know that, uh, you know, all coaches say that, you know, I'm going to design my scheme around the personnel that I have um, or I'm going to, um, you know, I'm flexible. I can play any kind of style of defense, teach it all. But um, really, if you've had a lot of success in a one particular scheme, it's, it's going to be very, very hard for him to switch to, okay, now I'm going to go to a 4-3 or 4-2-5. Um, I, I don't see that. I, I expect him to uh, stick to a 3-4. But what Jason said uh, at the top of the podcast, actually, is that, Bateman is one of these guys that have this 
uh, holy grail kind of thinking that he can have a positionless defense, which means the, the, the traditional roles that you think of for uh, defensive line, the linebackers, the secondary, that kind of goes out the window a little bit. Now, certain things won't, but the goal is that, you know, you've got guys uh, dropping off the line and covering. Uh, that's uh, an old concept. So we're going back to Dick LeBeau and, and then you've got cornerbacks that are, they're not coming off the edge. They're coming right up straight up the middle of the field, you know, <laughs> between the um, offensive linemen and different stuff like that. That is, and, you know, if you've ever watched, I think some of the uh, cutups of uh, the Wisconsin defenses um, back during the Justin Wilcox days and uh, Dave Aranda and those people, it's almost comical at times watching offenses dealing with uh, their specific kinds of schemes. There'll be they'll snap the ball and there'll be three offensive linemen just standing there with nobody to block, you know. And uh, in, in another location, there's five defenders, you know, coming through two players. And that's because they don't know who's coming or who's not. It could be any one of those 11 guys. Uh, it could be none of them, or it could be six of them. They just don't know on any given play. And uh, it, 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 honest to God, is comical at times. And uh, that offensive players, offensive linemen are, are standing there and making contact with no one because no one is attempting to – to uh, go through that guy or block that guy. Um, and, and in other cases, guys are coming dead free. I mean, they the ball snapped and they've got a straight run at quarterback. Uh, so it's interesting to watch. Um, if, if I was an offensive coordinator, it would give me nightmares. Um, so, you know, I think that he will stick with the 3-4, with the but – I think you have to start developing different ways to think about defensive football. Um, and, you know, people, if they hadn't known, they should have known for years that what we used to think of as uh, defensive statistics have kind of gone out the window. Um, you know, total defensive yards is another one of those stats that plays the least amount of relationship to wins and losses or correlates less to wins and losses than almost any other stat you can find. Um, because offenses these days are going to put up great numbers in almost every case. I mean, you, can, you can't go to a, a coach's convention at the NCAA and swing a cat without hitting somebody that's got a great offense. Having a great defense is a different animal. And those guys are rare. And those guys talk to each other and, and, you know, guys like Bateman, they're in that club that are constantly looking for an edge, constantly trying to figure out schematically, what can I do? How can I practice differently? How can I prepare for games differently? That's going to give me an edge. And Bateman has that kind of mind. So that's encouraging. And I think he'll, he, I think he'll stick with a three, four and, you know, the first year he might take his lumps. I think he, 
you know, they weren't as successful in his first year at Army as they were in his third year at Army. So I think it's going to take a little time. I think there needs to be some patience there. Uh, but I think ultimately he'll figure it out. He's that smart of a guy that he'll figure it out maybe by year two or three, but he'll figure it out at UNC. All right, so let's talk about Longo and the his red zone offense because that's something that I've seen You know, some Ole Miss fans kind of complain about. Buck, as you said uh, earlier on, I believe, you know, whatever no no fan base actually probably praises the offensive coordinator because fans expect you know a touchdown on every single drive and if that doesn't happen they yell and scream and stamp their feet but that i have seen that you know, it was a criticism lobbed at him that maybe his offensive sometimes bogged down in the red zone so the question from Darth Heel is do you think that his offense will be effective or ineffective in the red zone and then looking specifically at UNC's talent returning on offense, do you think that the Tar Heels have guys in place that can actually make it work and score touchdowns once they, they get close? So let's get an answer from you, Buck, and then also want to get Jason's thoughts on this because I thought this, this was a pretty interesting, and I'd like to kind of address you know that, that criticism of Longo that, that fans may have seen on social media and elsewhere. You know, I, I do think that um, he did struggle in, in the red zone. Uh, there's no question about that. He struggled against some really, really good defenses in the red zone. And with air raid principles, um, it's, as you get closer to the goal line, it's hard to get as much advantage out of those air raid principles when you get in that area. Um, because so much of it, of the air raid offense, is predicated on finding space. And as you get closer to the goal line, obviously you got far less vertical space than you had when you were on your own 20. So schematically, it kind of goes with the territory a little bit. Um, I don't know um, if that's going to be, you know, a chronic part of a long go um, uh, offense. And as far as the personnel question that you asked me, uh, Longo, that, that might've been one of the reasons why he was attracted to North Carolina. Cause quite honestly, as far as offensive personnel, they, they are pretty well off. Um, they've got a, a bunch of offensive linemen that have been in the program for a while. And even though the style of offense might be a little bit different, They've got more physical maturity, like Jason was alluding to, to learn new things more quickly because they're more mature guys now at this point. Um, and as far as the skill positions go, this was is uh, the exact kind of offense that every one of the skill players should be jumping up and down about uh, because you know they're going to utilize every single offensive player. Those those the air raid principles, the philosophy behind it, which he, he adheres to that piece of it pretty down the line. He tweaks uh, the X's and O's some, but there's a philosophy behind the air raid, and that is you want every single offensive player on the field to be utilized. You, you, there, there's no such thing as basically sending somebody out as a decoy so much. It's all about who gets open, who, who is the guy that's out there that's open, 
let's give our quarterback enough time because the way we uh, develop the offensive line splits and, and widen that out horizontally and, and let's give him time to read the entire field. And if there's anybody that's open, then he'll, he'll be able to find them. And so uh, it, it's not going to really matter who you are. You know, it, you're, you're going to get a good amount of looks and a good amount of targets. And if you can get open, you're going to get the ball. So that's how that works. It's, um, and, you know, you've got guys like uh, you know, uh, the Brown brothers now, uh, including the, n- the younger one that's just come in. Um, and you've got uh, Antoine Green and you've got uh, Daz Newsome and Bo Corrales and uh, a couple of others, I think three other wide receivers coming in in this class. And so – they got a lot of bullets in the gun on the offensive side of the ball. And the, the philosophy behind the air raid offense is you use all the bullets in your gun. Um, so uh, that might have attracted him. And you've got, you know, two uh, quarterbacks that have gotten their feet wet. They, they've actually seen uh, live action in a college game. Both of them appear to be uh, the kinds of guys that could – be, um, you know, power five caliber quarterbacks. And you've got two of them on your roster and they're both, uh, what amounts to true freshmen at this point, even though they played thanks to the rule change. And then you, they're looking at, uh, Sam Howell hard. And I think Sam Howell's looking back at them hard. Now, I don't know how that'll all work out, but I don't think it's going to take much, uh, for them to, uh, convince how to, to stay home and play for the Tar Heels in, in Chapel Hill. So uh, the offensive personnel, clearly they UNC has all the pieces. I don't really know that much about his offensive line preferences, uh, how he likes his offensive line uh, to look and be. Um, I think probably there's not a ton of difference um, between his – between his preferences there and what UNC has on the roster um, because he's not just about the air raid. He likes to, as Jason talked about, run the ball downhill. Uh, He does a little inside zone, outside zone stuff. Uh, He's, he's more multiple, I guess, in terms of uh, spread offense uh, things that he does. So, you know, I, I think he would probably have been attracted to the job just looking at the roster and seeing the pieces he'd had to work with. And so, Jason, what's your thoughts on the air raid offense, specifically Longos, and how it can perform in the red zone? And then which of the UNC players or player groups do you think may need to adapt to run that system at the goal line? Um. Well, I mean – it, uh, no, there's no offense that is perhaps more air raid in the country than Mike Leach's offense at this point. And uh, they are, according to what I'm looking at right now, number eight in the country in touchdown percentage in the red zone. So it can be done. <laughs> you can you can be a pretty good uh, air raid offense in the red zone. Uh and, you know, there are a few others that have air raid routes that are up there. Memphis is number 10. Uh, you know, technically the Bryles uh, offense is 
more like veer and shoot. Uh, but Houston is number five. And, you know, they've got some air raid principles in there, but it's more really veer and shoot than, than, uh, than, than air raid. But then, you know, up above that, UCF is at number one. They're very air raid influenced. Uh, and Clemson's number four. So, I mean, you can do the, the, the thing. The idea that you need to line up under center and get everybody tight, you know, in tight to be able to run it down somebody's throat is, is nonsense. Space is space. You still want to create space in the red zone. It's just harder to create space because the defense doesn't have to cover deep zones. So you end up having to have a guy that actually can, can win a matchup. And you really need to have two guys at some level that can win matchups in, in the red zone to be, to be good enough. But if you've got those guys, you can be successful. The main thing, though, is that you have to find a way to be physical enough when things do get in tighter spaces when you've got an extra guy that you have to break a tackle and get an extra couple yards, those yards are tougher to come by then. That's where, that's where the mentality thing comes in. That's where, you know, doing the old goal line stuff, having a, a couple packages ready to go for that sort of thing is important, but it can be done. Um, and Longo's offense in terms of his emphasis, in terms of uh, wanting to be more balanced and run the football more, and incorporating H backs and things like that in his offense in that respect, he's more like what Larry Fedora did in terms of having the H back. And I know, you know, a lot of, a lot of Carolina fans are not probably happy to hear that, but Fedora's offense was pretty successful over the years at, at Carolina, except for when they didn't have a quarterback. Uh, and in some ways, once you get in the red zone, there's going to be a lot of similarities there. Uh, the hope would be that that Longo's offense is going to be a little more physical in terms of his emphasis in the uh, in the red zone uh, and focus a little bit more on on vertical displacement in terms of of the offensive line moving uh, moving the defensive line back a little bit more in 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 terms of uh, how they're going to approach things in the running game than uh, than more say outside zone or inside zone uh, with the with more of a lateral step as the emphasis, which, which was a little bit more of Fedora's offense in that regard, but you can be physical calling inside zone. You can be physical with this stuff. It's just a mentality and you have to coach it and, uh, and you have to have the personnel to execute it. And when you've got a guy like Michael Carter, that helps things. When you've got big wide receivers that can win one-on-one matchups, then that helps things. So I think Longo is going to be, uh, positively surprised even knowing you know that he's going to have a a good uh, personnel situation I think he's going to be surprised at just how many weapons he's walking into all right so I wanted to give a quick shout out to that truth blue epidemic and rail bunch 82 who kind of all ask questions about philosophies players and you guys have done a great job of answering those so I think we've got that covered but the final question for both of y'all Buck, let's start with you here. How do you think overall the current roster will fit with the new coordinator philosophies on both offense and defense and their tendencies? And do you think that Carolina fans could see any position changes? I know it's way early about that. Probably, you know, fans need to wait until spring ball actually begins to answer the second part of that. But if there's anyone off off the top of your head right now, that you could see change positions, who would they be? 
But first, what's your overall take on the roster fits as things stand today? Well, I think there's probably uh, some pieces that both uh, probably more so Bateman than Longo um, would want on the roster that they don't have, um, particularly maybe at the linebacker spots. But we, we really don't know as much about that, I think, as we may pretend to know. Um, but overall, I would say that, uh, you know, if you look at it and uh, 24-7, of which Inside Carolina is a part, they have this thing called uh, team talent composite. And obviously, it's imperfect. It's, uh, you know, but it's a it's the aggregation of a lot of work. A lot of people have done looking at kids and trying to figure out what kind of talent they have uh, and then figuring out on a roster, not just the signing classes that they've had, but the players that are actually still on the roster, trying to figure out how their talent compares, um, you know, nationally. And, and last year, um, North Carolina was like 29th in uh, talent across the board in the nation. So uh, not a top 10 or top 15, but top 30. And, you know, they went you know, two and nine or whatever. And so I think there's talent there that is not, has not actually had the opportunity to uh, display itself and, so I, I don't think that there's a lack, total lack of talent at UNC. And we were talking to Stephen Godfrey the other night, and he was looking at the, at the roster. He does a podcast with Bill Connolly called Ain't Played Nobody. Uh, he was on to talk about Bateman, and, and he had looked at the roster. He says, I, I think you guys, I mean, these guys are going to be, it's not your typical um, coaching chain situation where the roster is completely depleted. So I think there's talent there. I think they'll find ways to utilize that talent. As far as position changes go, if I'm right about um, Bateman going with a, uh, the type of uh, offense that he, or defense that he had at, at Army, there, obviously there's going to be massive changes position-wise, particularly in the front seven. Um, guys that are now uh, – Defensive tackles, in, in some cases, uh, or uh, defensive ends, or we're going to become linebackers. Um, some defensive tackles, like I would imagine if Jason Strobridge is around, and I don't have any reason to suspect he won't be, uh, he's going to be a defensive end in uh, Bateman's scheme. And, you know, guys like uh, Tamari, uh, Tomon Fox and um, – Jake Lawler and those guys, they're going to be outside linebackers. So in a three, four, so that there's definitely going to be position changes there just because the type of scheme that he runs requires different types of players in those positions. And, and I would, um, I would clarify that, that he's not going to be running a three, four, right? I mean, in terms of there being seven big front seven guys up there. I mean, he's not going to be running a traditional, when people think of a three, four, they think of three defensive linemen and four linebackers, but nobody's running, you know, a four, three or a three, four out there all that often these days, everybody has five DBs on the, on that field at some, at some level. Now, 
the question is, which guys are your hybrids? Mm-hmm. And I think what you're saying, Buck, is that a couple of these guys, like Fox and others, they're going to be in in hybrid positions in Bateman's defense. And I think that's absolutely right. And and I think also a guy like Strobridge would be what in uh, a lot of defensive systems that are like Bateman's, you would call a swing guy. So he can play inside and outside. And depending on what you call from the sideline, he's going to do one or the other. And the, de- and, and the offense doesn't know by substitution pattern which one to expect when they're calling the play. And that gives you some flexibility to, when you have that kind of guy. So, so I, I would be careful with the 3-4 versus 4-3 or whatever because neither one is really what people are doing anymore in Bateman, at least of all. Yeah, I agree with that, Buck. Do you have anything to add, or can I swing it over to Jason to get a little bit more of his thoughts on the roster makeup? And just to clarify for the audience, Buck also, you know, Buck is aware of this. You know, when he says 3-4, he's talking about the the flexible, uh, the extra flexible approach that Bateman is. I'm, I'm making that point specifically for the uh, for the audience. I know Buck knows that. Yeah, I think that uh, still we're going to see guys lining up in different places than what yeah. they're used to lining up. No in, doubt. I think is I think that's the point I'm trying to make, and yep. and because of that, they'll get a different label attached to them. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, no, I think that's about all that I, you know, can foresee in terms of, uh, you know, position changes on, you know, and, and occasionally, you know, there are, when a new head coach comes in, sometimes he'll see a guy that's on offense and move them to defense. Uh, and he did that, or Bush Davis did that with Danuta Williams, who initially came to, to UNC as a wide receiver. And he he thought, well, this guy's going to be more used to us as a safety, and that worked out quite well. So, you know, that happens occasionally. I don't know. You know, I can't really think of at this particular point in time uh, anybody that that jumps out at me as somebody that might um, you know make that kind of switch. One name comes to mind, but I doubt they'll switch him. Is Daz Newsom? Um, he, he has got the kind of athleticism and ability that he could really excel as a kind of a head hunter on the defensive side of the ball, but he's also a really, really good wide receiver. So, um, yeah, I don't necessarily see them switching him. He's just the kind of, kind of a sort of an example of a guy that, you know, has the ability to do both. And or maybe you know, a toe groves, a- toe groves could also do that. I mean, he's a guy that yeah. could, could play either side and be really good on either side, I think, in terms of athletically. And, and you know, Mac Brown is not a stranger to doing that, too. Uh, back when he was here, um, Miles Dorn's father, uh, Torrin Dorn, um, came to UNC and played actually a year or so at running back. And uh, Mac and his staff switched him to uh, defensive back. And um, Dorn went on to play in the NFL for many a year at, as a defense, defensive back. So, um, you know, I think they'll be very careful with that. But, you know, it, sometimes that happens when you have head coaching changes. Um, I don't know that it happens quite as often as it used to. But, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't rule it out. But I'm not exactly looking for it. 
I think up? we're gonna I think we're gonna get more position changes with this staff than we certainly I think we'll certainly see more of that than we did with the last staff. And I actually think the last staff made too few position changes. I think philosophically that was a problem with the way that they recruited. I know we've talked about that uh, as inside staff behind the scenes for a few years now that they would recruit too much to position instead of, you know, the Butch Davis. And and I know that Mac did this in his, in his prior stop. Uh, you gave one example, but taking the approach of recruit athletes and find a place, find, find out where, when he gets on campus and he gets to be 19 and 20 and he's starting to develop into, into really the kind of kind of athlete that you, that you're going to have figure out where he fits. And I think you're going to see a little bit more of that, actually a good bit more of that with this staff than what you saw with the last staff, which I think was one of the biggest limitations of how Fedora ran the program. Well, then, Jason, what about the players that are on campus already in terms of how they're going to fit in with the new schemes? Talk with us about that, and we'll go ahead and wrap up the podcast after that. Well, it's really hard to know until until they actually get out in the practice field. I think you're going to see a lot of tinkering during spring. Uh, you're going to see some guys that, you know, okay, one day, you know, maybe this guy runs out there with a different color jersey on than he has, you know, for before, and he spends a couple of weeks there just because they want to see. And you wonder, I mean, they, they're bringing in four wide receivers in this recruiting class. There's already some decent wide receiver depth on the roster. But which guys maybe are a little bit better as a as an option as a third corner or as a safety or you know maybe maybe uh, one of the safeties would be better you know better suited as a hybrid plan down in the box and you know you figure out like okay this guy fits really well with what I want to do here as opposed to here and so we're going to ask him this off season to learn this more so that first spring is as a new coaching staff when you evaluate what you have on the roster and until and and as 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 a coaching staff i know this for a fact i mean when i when i uh came over to a new uh a new program a couple years ago it took us a little while to figure out okay this guy fits better here and even this year we had a lot of seniors the prior year this year we had a, a much younger team we ended up we our our starting lineups in certain places partly because of injury but partly because of other factors we were a very different lineup on defense at the at the place that I coached at Durham Jordan at the end of the year than we were at the beginning of the year. I mean, guys that played corner at the beginning of the year, there's one guy that played corner that was playing basically as an in-the-box safety. We had a safety who was playing corner. We had, you know, all sorts of different changes that were made over the course of the season because we figured out, like, that guy can't do this, but he does this really well. And it takes you a little while to figure that out. And until you see him do it, you you can't be sure. And so it, that's something I'm going to hold off on just yet. Once we see a little bit, we're going to have a, a lot to talk about, I think, because there are going to be some things that are probably going to be surprising that like, okay, this guy, you know, maybe, maybe that is the best way to use him. There's going to be some surprises in there. Uh, and I would just suggest, by the way, to the players, any, any players who, you know, this trickles to trust your coaches on this, because if they, if they think you're going to be better there, odds are that's your best chance at the next level too. Uh, players that change position. I mean, one of the top uh, corners in the in the NFL right now is Xavier Rhodes. He was he was a wide receiver, committed to playing the offensive side of the ball, and sort of begrudgingly moved to the defensive side, and then became an elite corner. And he would not have been that that kind of elite wide receiver. 
you have to trust sometimes that, that other people can see a little bit more than you can on that. And that's something I'm looking forward to with this staff. I think there, there's going to be some changes and uh, I'm curious to see what they're going to find. So actually I fibbed. I've got one more question for, for both <laughs> of you guys. And this comes just from me. Rate from one to 10, your overall excitement right now about the coaching staff hires. Buck, going to go to you since Jason's been talking for a while now. <laughs> yeah, uh, sometimes I have to slap myself uh, when, it, when it come, you come back around to me to, to wake myself up a little bit. But, um, uh, you, you know, I think that um, rating – staffs is uh, a crapshoot at best under the best circumstances. Um, the The entire staff and, and the level of it, which is, that's where we're getting our level of excitement from, basically, right? I mean, uh, obviously, there's things to be excited about in terms of the roster, uh, particularly on the offensive side, and there's other things to be excited about. They're going to have a new training facility. Uh, they made... Keenan Stadium look a lot prettier last year. There's there are things to be excited about outside of the coaching staff, but I would say in terms of the entire fan base, most of their excitement revolves around um, the change in head coaches and the staff. And for me, actually, I think uh, the better part of valor is, is just to say that ranking um, staffs in that way is sort of a stupid activity. Um, you know, it's it, a lot of times it's going to depend. Uh, and one thing that I think we nobody has really talked about very much at all, um, you know, during this entire coaching search thing is that, you know, I don't, I've not heard very much about um, Mac Brown sort of, hiring his coordinators and then saying, well, who would you like to bring with you? Or who do you think would look good there? He has made like a personal connection with every single one of these coaches that he's bring, he's brought in. Um, you know, nobody is, he's not brought two guys over from the same staff. Um, you know, some of these guys, you know, know each other and they've worked together and that sort of thing. But um, it's been Mac Brown hiring every single coach so far. It's not been, okay, uh, Phil, who do you want, you know, on your staff? Uh, that hadn't been how it's gone. And sometimes it goes that way. Um, but in any event, I, I think um, I'm going to be probably more reserved than perhaps uh, 90% of um, UNC football fans because you can look at things and be in – incredibly optimistic and feel really good about it at this moment, but it's going to be about how this coaching staff comes together and their chemistry together and how well they work together, how well, you know, Bateman and Longo or can find peaceful coexistence on uh, either side of the ball. Um, you know, I think that uh, it's easy to get excited like Jason did during the whole off season last year with Florida state. Um, oh. but you, you ha <laughs> that's but mean, it's, no, it's no, not mean. Jason, no, he, no. And, and actually Jason I was, would say the same thing. Yeah, no. And, 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 and I would say I was fairly measured, uh, in terms of, we'll see how things go on the field. 
but yeah, anytime there's change, it's real easy to get excited about what you're going to see. And, and, and I think that's a po- perfectly fair point. I mean, got to remember, got to remember on this, I don't root for laundry. So, you know, what's happening at Florida state now doesn't impact me. <laughs> that's a good so, way to put it. Yeah. yeah I like that. You know, I, I, I have, I have, I still have some friends in that athletic department. I know some of the people on that staff and I, I want them to do well. But I don't root for laundry, so you know that's no skin off my nose. But I'm always excited to see what you know what's coming down the pike. Gotcha. All right. Well, you know what, Jason? Since Buck has now had his turn to talk to wrap up the podcast, let's hear it from you. I guess the better I'm going to rephrase my question a little bit for you. Compared to where things were when Mac Brown was initially hired, and your expectations then, especially with the Robinson defensive coordinator fiasco, everything that went down with that. As things stand today, how do you personally rate the staff that Mac Brown has assembled? Again, taking the bird's eye view, here we stand on Wednesday, December 12th at 9.38 in the evening. Well, okay, so when Mac was first hired, I was probably at a 5 out of 10, right, in terms of excitement level. Is one of those like, okay, let's wait and see. We'll see. We'll see what level of hires he's going to bring in. Because I, I, as I said it from the very beginning, what's going to matter, particularly if you're hiring somebody like Mac Brown, who, you know, he's going to bring a lot of the CEO qualities, but but he's not, uh, you know, a Lincoln Riley schematically. He better have some great coordinator hires. So I was at a five. I was like, okay, well, this is this is going to be interesting. We'll, we'll I'll wait and see. Then Greg Robinson, the Greg Robinson thing happened, and I was at about a two. That took me down to like a one or a two. It's like, oh man, that this this is trending bad real quick. Now uh, I'd say I'm at like a seven and a half. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm 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 pretty. Uh, for one, I'm just excited to break down what we're going to see schematically from these two new co- two new coordinators. I think there's there's a lot of stuff that in my function for what I do for for Inside Carolina. I'm excited to get a chance to break some of this stuff down and just as a scheme junkie. So that, that brings my excitement level up for one. Uh, Cause honestly, a lot of what Carolina had done the last couple of years, in addition to the losing, it was getting harder and harder for me to break some of that stuff down because it was so stale. And there just wasn't as much that for me to really have fun with breaking down. I mean, it was just like, well, here we go again, running this and it similarly doesn't work just like last game, you know, it, it, it's it's frustrating. So when you get to see a little bit of new stuff and a few new wrinkles and a little bit of a different personality in terms of how things are being run, that's exciting. Now, I tell you what'll take me higher. The, the thing I'm still holding out on is we still haven't seen who's going to be the strength and conditioning uh, coach. And that is arguably the most important hire that a head coach makes because the strength and conditioning coach is the guy that has the most contact, the most direct contact with the players. And is the guy that is going to make sure that the vision and the mentality that the head coach wants for his team is going to be implemented. That's that guy's job. That's what he does. He's the one that makes sure that the mentality is, is, is operational and that, that the team is, is working towards, what what the head coach wants year over the course of the the, the majority of the year. Once that hire is made, I'll know whether I should tip that up to you know an eight or a nine, or whether I should bring that back just a little bit. Uh, 
now I may not know exactly who the the, the uh, strength coach is in, initially, but once I get a chance to sort of see and get a feel for that, that'll let me know for sure where where I stand on that. But I think these coordinators are are really solid hires. Uh, I think the overall staff appears to be solid. Um, it's a little bit of a wait and see in terms of chemistry. Uh, like like Buck said, I mean I think that's that's hard to assess. And you know when you look at again the Florida State example is a good one. Taggart absolutely won the offseason at Florida State this last season. If he if if they'd been anywhere near as good on the field as they'd been as he'd he'd handled things off the field since he took that job, they'd they'd probably have been uh they they'd have been competing for the ACC or winning the ACC title. But you know, you still gotta actually win games and you still gotta to, to gel as a coaching staff. Uh and and that, you know, that's that's the wait and see part. But I'm looking forward to seeing who that court that that strength and conditioning coach hire is really happy with the coordinators and excited to get a chance to break down what they're going to do. All right, guys. Well, we've been talking for almost an hour and a half now. I think <laughs> I am about wrapped up. Jason, did you have anything else? Or are you good to go? Oh, I think I've filibustered plenty uh, so far. All right, Buck, anything final words or are we good to sign off? Uh, we get to sign off. I think it's uh uh, cocktail time at the Sanders Ooh. household. That sounds good. Hey, we all got to get caught up on Tommy. He's He's got a little bit of a couple hour head start on us tonight. <laughs> that, that's right. That's right. All right. Well, for everyone listening, we do appreciate it. Thank you again. And we will be back with the next Inside Carolina podcast sometime soon. Buck, Jason, thank you as always, guys. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.